Avengers, assemble. In the wake of Endgame, some were lost, others regained. They're good. What happens next? Stay tuned, true believers, as we try to find out. Peter Melnick. Graphic designer, comic book enthusiast, and podcast pontificator, and I'm Eddie Wilson. Upstate New York radio announcer in the Sullivan Catskills, with an inordinate amount of catching up in his own comic book universe. Ready? It's time for a new episode of The Marvelists. Hey, this is WWE SmackDown referee Jason Ayers, and you're listening to The Marvelists with Peter Melnick and Eddie Wilson. Welcome, everyone, to The Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. And before we get into the usual rigmarole of today's episode and introducing our very special guest on the other line of the tin can string, mm. we want to tell you all at home how you can get a hold of us on them, our social medias. Uh, you do it. Go ahead. Well, first off, you go on Facebook.com slash The Marvelists. Find us on there. Give us a like. See, go on the Twitter machine and Instagram at The Marvelists. Find myself on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Peter Melnick Podcaster on Instagram and Twitter at Peter Melnick. But remember, people, there's only one place in the whole wide interweb, worldwide interwebs even, because that's where you get the WWW from. People. But before you do all that, how can we find Eddie Wilson on social media? Why, it's on Instagram, of course. At Eddie9193. I'm not even talking with my hands as I'm recording this. I'm talking with my arms. I'm, like, flying. It's, it's amazing. you got to uh, be there. Not really. Not really. But before we even do all that, also, find us on streaming and listening platforms. We're on TuneIn Radio, Stitcher Radio, Podbean, SoundCloud. Uh, what else do we got? We got iTunes where, remember, rate, review, subscribe, and share. Five-star if you are ever so inclined. And, again, Ice Cream Machine McDonald's, they're always broken, but not our rating system. Yeah. No, decline, recline, or if you're inclined, whatever the case. Or Tom Klein, even. Oh. So you never know. But on the other end of the tin cannon string is WWE SmackDown referee Jason Ayers. Jason, good evening. Hello. Thanks for having me, guys. So first off, as of this recording, it is April 7th, and we're a couple days removed from the big show. And I'm not talking about the, well, I'm talking about WrestleMania. Congratulations on a fantastic show, guys. And Thank it, you very much. It was, uh, it was definitely an interesting experience this year. I would imagine, you know, everything that's going on has changed everything in the world. It's changed the convention scene. It's changed the podcasting scene. And it even changed WrestleMania, which I, I knew it was going to happen one way or another. But the fact, you know, they did the whole empty uh, venue aspect, I think that's so cool. And it's led to some really neat stuff. Yeah, you know, we're, we're very blessed in that we've got this performance center down in Orlando. And I say we, like I have anything to do with it. Uh, we, being, <laughs> we being the collective company, we uh have the the performance center down outside Orlando that you know normally has seven rings and uh you know young wrestlers training to try to get to Monday Night Raw to SmackDown and to WrestleMania uh you know six seven days a week they're in their training but uh, you know as uh things began to change and pandemics began to be a little uh, be obvious that that was going to be a situation we're going to all have to deal with um, our production team was 
kind of ahead of the curve and uh, turned the entire 10,000 square foot facility. I'm not sure exactly how big it is. It's massive uh, into a makeshift arena. Uh, you know, put one ring in, put the, the ramp in like we would have at Monday Night Raw. Um, initially put empty seats, but uh, I think visually we like to look better video walls down the side, but turned it into a makeshift arena where we can do these empty arena tapings. And as the saying goes, the show must go on. So that's exactly what, uh, what they've done thus far. I've been enjoying like some of the bizarre stuff that's been going on as a result. Of course, at WrestleMania, you have the boneyard match and you have the firefly Funhouse match, but it also leads to some great moments too, such as on three sixteen stone cold, Steve Austin day. It leads to give me a hell. Yeah. And no one's in the building. And there's dead silence until you hear Byron Saxton yell, oh, hell yeah. And it's very, it's very much the, the comparison on Twitter, for example, has been, it's like the Eric Andre show, but with wrestling. And I love it. I think like, it's, it's such a weird thing, but it's so cool. You know, I, I, I didn't make that connection until you mentioned that just now, but it, that segment especially absolutely felt like it was ripped right from the Eric Andre show, didn't it? That, that uh, 316 day. It was so perfect. I know someone on social media edited the video. They included the, we'll be right back at the end, and <laughs> just phenomenal stuff. I'll uh, send it to you on Twitter. But yeah, please do. One of the other things that, you know, we're also doing in this time is since we're, you know, a lot of us are quarantining ourselves, we're reading a lot of comic books. Jason, yourself, you're at home sometimes, you know, in between WWE work. What are you reading right now? Um, well, so I've got a pretty substantial backlog of new books that I'm still trying to get through. Um, like, yeah, not as uh, much as me. I... <laughs> I dare say not <laughs> as much as me. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Uh, but last week I just finally sat down and read the most recent uh, Daredevil run, which is fantastic. Um, you know, getting through some of the older stuff that I've kind of skipped over just due to not having the time to catch up. Like right now I'm going through and I'm finally getting around to reading the whole Jeff Johns Green Lantern run. And by the whole thing, I'm on all seven years of it from start to start to finish. Um, but, you know, it, and that's where these, these uh, you know, DC Universe Online and Marvel Unlimited have been such a godsend during times like this to just be able to sit down and, okay, well, you know, what do I want to read today? Uh, I have everything at my fingertips. What do I want to read today? If I can make a recommendation for you with the uh, unlimited services and stuff like that, look into Comixology Unlimited because they have like a five or six dollar service where they'll they have Marvel and DC stuff that you can download offline and you know read with the service. But they also have hmm. like Dark Horse, uh, IDW, Boom, all the different companies. And I do the offline, so when I do Marvel Unlimited, unfortunately, you're limited to twelve individual issues at a time. So what I do is. You know what? I feel like reading the uh, Jonathan Hickman saga with the Avengers and Secret Warriors and F4, of course. You know what I'm going to do instead? I'm going to download Volume 1 off of uh, Comicsology Unlimited and then get the remaining issues from that series 12 at a time on Unlimited. And it's, it's kind of a cool thing. It's like a little trick past the system, but you're still paying for it, so it doesn't matter. But, yeah. Now, why 12 yeah. at a time? Uh, that's just Marvel, how they do it. Meanwhile, on the flip side, the distinguished competition, you're pretty much allowed to download as many books as you want, all willy-nilly. And I kind of like that. 
Yeah, I haven't dug much into the offline download on the DC, but yeah, that's always been the biggest limiter on the Marvel side on on Marvel Unlimited. That twelve issue twelve issue limit because you know if I'm downloading for offline offline read, usually it's because I'm getting ready to you know fly to whatever town we're doing TV from. Obviously not right now, but um, and twelve issues barely gets me through the taxi before we take off. Like <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just not enough for any length of time. I'm wondering if Marvel does that because they're thinking more people are going to be reading older books where they're very exposition, very dialogue-heavy, very, you know, caption-heavy, as opposed to the comics of nowadays, which, let's be honest, depending on the writer, you can breeze through it within five minutes. It's true, yeah. Especially some and, of, you know, like the, old, the older uh, Claremont-era uncanny stuff with, with so much dialogue and so much, you know, narration in it. Mm. Yeah, you, that might... 12 issues might last you a little longer there. It's funny you say Claremont with that, though, because I've, since I'm doing my reread of the X-Men and everything, I'm, I'm alternating between uh, Uncanny X-Men, X-Factor, New Mutants, which is about to wrap up soon, and all the different tie-ins and miniseries, and, of course, Wolverine. And Claremont's issues tend to go faster for me than the Lee Simonson X-Factor and the New Mutants. I don't know why, but I think... Maybe it's just because I enjoy Claremont's writing more, and I can, you know, it's so fast-paced. That maybe that's just me, but, yeah. Yeah, I can absolutely Claremont see that. So it's, uh, you know, that, that's another thing. You're, you're kind of getting into my wheelhouse now, <laughs> talking, talking Claremont era on Um You know, I, I, as I've been hunting back issues lately, it's been Uncanny Claremont, you know, the 90s X-Factor, 90s New Mutants, that sort of thing, trying to complete runs and, and doing the same thing you're doing, going back and rereading all of that, that I, you know, would catch an issue here, an issue there when they came out, but never really, uh, you know, with any length or any uh, breadth of reading all of it. Um, but, you know, you're right. The, the Claremont written issues seem to go a little faster. And I think it's just, it's, I'm more interested in what's going on in those books. Like, um, you know, I, I started trying to do a reread of Excalibur on Marvel Unlimited, and it's just, I don't know what it is about those books, they just, they're so slow, and I just, it, you know, it seems to bounce all over the place as far as what's going on, okay, now wait a minute, where did this character come from, and now where did, where did Kitty go, where, you know, but the that's, uncanny that's story just seems I'm, to really flow. For myself, I'm the flip side with Excalibur, Excalibur was like one where, if you, if you read Excalibur, read it like it's uh, a 2000 AD comic, you know, like in that magazine, like it's very, it's obviously it takes place in the UK, but it's the art style of Alan Davis. It's got like that feel to it. It feels like something you would be reading, you know, in between like a Judge Dredd comic or just some random Alan Moore story. It's, I, I really enjoyed Excalibur. I don't know why, but I most, I think it's mostly because I'm a big uh, Kurt Wagner uh, Nightcrawler fan. Oh, well, I, you know, when it came out, I was on board with Excalibur from the beginning, so, and then eventually completed that run, I think, after the fact. But recently, over the last several years, I'm going to say, with Marvel UK, and then even under the U.S., I guess, moniker of Knights of Pendragon and that kind of thing, because I think Captain Britain was in that book also. Yes. And I actually uh, read the trade paperback, like most of it, of the uh, Captain Britain reprints, Legends of whatever. That, again... I think the first few I was like on board with because they're also written by Claremont, but then after a few like stories, it starts to fall off a cliff, which kind of bumps me out. 
But, Jason, in regards to your comic collecting, first off, what's your home shop? Uh, well, you know, the, the nice thing about living outside Orlando, I have several to choose from, you know, that, that I can kind of bounce between here and there as I'm, as I'm back issue looking. Now, if we're talking my home shop as far as where my pull box is, um, that's going to be Epic Comics just down south of, uh, just, just south of town in Waterford Lakes, uh, Orlando area. But, you know, we've got, there's Epic Comics, there's Coliseum of Comics, which has five locations around town, there's Acme Superstore, there's three or four other, the collective uh, comic and game community. There's, I could, you know, I can name five or six right off the top of my head. Um, so back issue hunting is uh, actually manageable without really leaving the city much. Uh, but, yeah, as, as far as my, my home store or my, where my pull box resides, that's epic comics. Well, Jason, i got to tell you, having frequented Florida, Fort Lauderdale area more so, and over the last several years finding several just in that in that area, but I think in some respects some of them have actually faded, gone gone away, but I just couldn't believe the uh, – Proliferance, so many, so many stores in a short, relatively speaking, geographic area. Yeah, and you know the the nice thing is that there's obviously a enough market to support all of them. Yeah, you know, or they wouldn't they wouldn't be there living there. So it uh, really says something about the comic fandom, I guess. In I, I thought just in Orlando, but I guess in Florida in general, uh, if it's like that, when you start getting down to the Lauderdale's and Miami's. Mm-hmm. Now, in regards to just the what what would you say the the X Men stuff? You're hunting down the books, and what is like your white whale right now? Uh, you know the the one that I've had for some reason, and I think I've got a beat on a copy finally. Um, so I'm simultaneously working several different runs. Um, obviously I'm, you know, the uncanny X-Men run is going to, I'm getting to the point where that's slowing down pretty substantially because I'm working backwards from the, the cheap issues to the more expensive stuff. And I'm kind of getting up into the days of future past and the, uh, dark Phoenix saga era stuff, which are, you know, a little pricier books at this point. Um, but then alongside that, I'm also working, you know, a new mutants run, uh, finished out an X factor run, uh, working on an Excalibur run. And then, you know, generation X and X-Force just kind of as I find books. Um, but for some reason, on my New Mutants run, obviously, 87 and 98 are going to sit as either reprints or facsimiles for a while, because that's not a, a dollar figure I can really wrap my head around spending on a single comic book right now. But uh, New Mutants 14, for some reason, uh, first uh, I believe that's First Magic. Uh, I just cannot, for the life of me, find it in any sort. And there's no reason, no reason whatsoever for that book to be as hard to find as it is. But I just none of the none of the stores I frequent have had a copy. Nothing on the wall. Nothing on the back. It's just, I just I don't understand it. One thing with Magic is she does have a very large following on like Twitter. I've heard, although I haven't seen it myself. Mm. But like I'm imagining that might be part of the reason why. Plus, Magic is going to be involved with the new Mutants movie, so a lot of those characters are probably going to be you know a lot harder to find, especially in the coming months or for sure whenever that movie you know on Earth. But. <laughs> In the coming years, right? Oh, don't say that. <laughs> don't do that. But I, I think it's kind of funny that there's, like, I, I'm trying to remember, you just said you're looking for some of the Dark Phoenix saga. If you don't have the issue where Jean is holding the X-Men logo up above her head, mm-hmm. I might have a guy that can sell you a copy of it. So that 
that might be the one that I just picked up on eBay. I was that was that one thirty four. All I know is it's like the greenish color. Yeah, it is. The background. Yeah. yeah. God, I love that Eddie knew that so well. No, off it is. I mean, I'm I'm picturing it. I think she's in her. Uh, I thought she was in her green version of the of the outfit, but she's larger than life. She's predominantly on the cover, and again, crushing the X Men letters. Yeah. But like I said, I might know a guy. So. We'll, okay. Uh, well, we'll, we'll talk. We'll talk offline on that one. So much in common there, Jason, you and I, I think, have because looking and looking and looking and whether it's you have your list, your wish list on your phone or, in my case, on paper, and and no greater feeling than to cross something off when you do find it. But uh, Eddie needs to bring a porter with him when he brings his list. Oh, (laughs) that's the master list. That's no, but but yeah, you, you can go months and years perhaps looking for certain issues. Then when you finally find something like, well, what took so long? Why? And you know, and hey, I got it at a decent cost. So you right. know, things, or, or you get to the point where you know the list is only down to you know one page instead of four, and you're like, all right, I'll pay it here. You know, let's get this done. Yeah, and you know, and the nice thing, obviously, not with with the world in the in the situation we're in right now, but you know, when when we do do our TVs out on the road, and I go into a town, say we're in you know, Wichita or, uh, you know, Poughkeepsie, New York, or, or wherever we happen to be at any given point, I come in a day early, and if I get there early enough, I can hit up flea markets. I can hit up the local comic shops. Yeah. I can, you know, just kind of spend the day doing that sort of thing the morning or the evening before the show and, you know, find, really find, get some really good finds that way also because you, you just it's one of those things you never know what you're going to find. You know, sometimes you find things you're not even looking for. I'm going to give up a little of one of my secrets right now, but depending, if you're in the area, because I know you just mentioned Poughkeepsie, if you are in the area, I don't know when it's going to come back, but the Stormville Airport Flea Market, where Mm. I found many a good deal. But if the stars align and you're able to make it, check it out. You can find some really good stuff. I know that, again, also, Duchess Marketplace was amazing. I found such great things, and yeah. Yeah, you know what? It's not a secret because he's mentioned it before, Jason. So don't let him be, you know, shucking you or anything like that. And it's it's of course an outdoor flea market and uh, and a big uh, big area that it uh, covers. I know I've bought I've purchased many Legos there. That's all I'm going to say. No, it's not. Well, maybe. I mean, it is a podcast, and you know, people are listening. So yeah, thank you. Got it. You know, Uh, Eddie, do the uh, plate dance. The, the what? <laughs> you know, the, you know, with the sticks. That's what you call the plate dance? Okay. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned that about the whole aspect of being on the road and traveling and discovering all these comic shops. I imagine that, again, it must be such a fun way to also knock out some of the things you're hunting for. It is, you know, and, and it's cool, like, I've found, depending different places you go, have different focuses on with their stores, you know, and that's kind of one of the cooler things about hitting up different comic shops in different areas of of the country and, and of the world as we start going into, you know, Canada's or Mexico's or the UK's or whatever, you know, some places they focus a little more on, uh, on Funko Pops, some places are more back issues, some places are more trades and graphic novels it's just you, you you know you never know what you're what you're going to bump into um but usually have pretty good luck with with back issues most places and 
You know, I know you've seen in the past, I'll throw out on Twitter, hey, I'm going to such and such town, suggest me some comic shops. You know, that's a really good way I've found to kind of crowdsource what's, what's good to the, you know, to the locals, um, get, get answers straight from the source. Well, it sounds like, Jason, you've fallen into the same, I'm going to call it, trap that I have oh, so many times. And besides the huge time commitment for looking and the thrill of the hunt, all that stuff, is that finding things you weren't looking for and like, all right, give this a shot. What do you mean it's 58 issues or something? And But it, but you know, it, but it's cheap. So you find yourself, okay, now I'm going after this title. And so many more than you really were, you know, not on your list and stuff. Yeah, that's kind of how the, the Generation X and X Force run <laughs> collecting started, uh, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I got a question for both of you because this kind of, you know, that made me think of this. When you start a random run, like Eddie, you just mentioned, like, oh, I guess I'll get this because it's cheap enough. Does things like the cover affect you too? I think like, so. Oh, that's a really cool cover. Yeah, I think so. Jason. Yeah, if I if I see something that's just outstanding cover art, like you know, anytime there's an Alex Ross cover, I'm picking it up. Uh, you know, things like that. I, I really, if it's art that I dig, yeah. Yeah, that applies to me in the just surprise, random, all findings, th- different things that John Byrne did. All of a sudden, he's like, "Wait, this is IDW. This is DC. He did the Star Trek one, huh? What? Yeah." So, and I was typically Eddie, always going with Marvel. Yes, some DC, and that increased. <clears throat> and Byrne did some, you know, Superman issues, and I think Doom Patrol. And then I see, you know, like again, Star Trek was IDW or something else. And of course, Next Men really was the first one that took me off the the main Marvel and or DC track into going after that. And then I'm like, what issue twenty one? What's that all about? Oh boy, here we go. Eddie, when you read the Star Trek, do you put on some Spock ears? Please tell me you do. I do not. I do not have. But maybe when I yes. do get to that. Uh-huh. I mean, it enhances the reading experience when you really think about it, because also, you know... Your hearing can really improve with the... No. Highly illogical, Eddie. Highly illogical. But what is not highly illogical is one of the things that I've noticed is pro wrestling and X-Men has such a huge crossover. A couple weeks back, we ended up doing an episode with Shane Hagedorn, uh, formerly of Ring of Honor and now with AEW, and we talked about the, you know, the X-Men. And, like, that was why he wanted to come on, because he's like, I want to talk about the uh, Outback stuff. And I'm like, eventually, we'll get to that. And I did read it, and I'm enjoying it. But I digress. Mm -hmm. With that, there's, like I said, a lot of different people in wrestling that I know of who love the X-Men. And, Jason, why do you think that is? Well, I I wonder, because, you know, I've, I've thought about that myself. I wonder if it's a situation... Where the X Men, I know for me the gateway was the X Men animated series. Uh, just like you know, a lot of kids of my generation, um, you know, that was that Saturday morning cartoon uh, X Men on Fox situation. And I wonder how much of it was we, you know, those of us that were watching that were also watching Saturday morning wrestling at the same time, which was also my gateway there. I don't know if it's if that's the tie. I don't know if it's the you know similar type of storytelling the you know, the good guy versus the bad guy. And I've always described, you know, sports entertainment, pro wrestling, whatever you want to call it, what we do as essentially a comic book come to life. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a good guy and it's a bad guy and there's an issue and they're fighting. <laughs> you know, when it, when it comes down to it, at, at its core, that's what it is. If this, Jason, Which, is like you said, when you were growing up, I can picture you maybe as a, a, 
maybe a pre-teenager or so, and the wrestling and the X-Men, and just yelling to Mom, can we get a split-screen TV, please? <laughs> Little did we know now, right? I'll be good. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but yeah, you, you know, and it was all part of that same, same uh, Saturday morning time block uh, of, of superheroes, you know, whether they be superheroes animated with lasers coming out of their eyes and claws coming out of their hands or superheroes uh, live action carrying a snake or, you know, flashing their money. Like you just, it, it's a lot of the same type of thing, even though it doesn't look like it on the surface. And on top of that, you know, with you mentioning the X-Men animated series, I feel also that was partially a gateway drug into getting into the, you know, Marvel universe for a lot of us. And, you know, you and I are really close to the same age, and it's our generation is heavily, heavily, heavily into that original 92 lineup where every single time I see the X-Men mentioned, it's always that core group, and it's always the animated series version, right down to the costume. Yeah, that, that X-Men Blue, X-Men Gold original era. I, I feel like, to me, that's the, the X-Men team, you know. And, and I, never, I didn't really read much of the older, and by older, I mean the, you know, the Claremont Burn, the uh, Claremont the Cockrum, the et cetera, et cetera, any of that until, you know, maybe 10 years ago, aside from, obviously, Days of Future Past and Dark Phoenix and some of the seminal stories, but, like, to me, X-Men was always that, uh, you know, Jean Grey, Cyclops, Storm, Gambit, that team. That's the team, you know. And, and I think a lot of it is, is the fact that, like you said, the gateway drug was the animated series. So jumping back, Jason, where would you say your starting point is or you want to be with, like, what approximate issue number with X-Men, Uncanny? As far as, far as the run I'm collecting? Yeah. Uh, I'm working... Ideally, working my way back all the way to '94. Uh, we'll yeah. see as we start getting a little closer on that. At this point, I'm I've done I've got from 280 all the way back to middle of Dark Phoenix, so 130, I think 134, 135, somewhere around in there. Yeah. The the last one, then kind of scattered prior to that. But um, yeah. '94 is the goal. Giant size eventually once I can Whew. wrap my head around that. Well, for me, yeah, it would be that. I've <laughs> I've settled for a reprint, which is fine. Of the giant size, um, yeah, my mine would be a yeah, ninety-four and uh, one hundred one. Well, if, you, mm-hmm. if either of you guys want to go back in time, you can end up going to the uh, first uh, season of Comic Book Man, where practically every single episode they would have that for sale, giant size. So, oh, jeez, you know what? That's right. <laughs> every like I remember they... during their uh, Secret Stash uh, post-show podcast, you just hear Brian go, "I swear to God, that's the only book we sell." <laughs> <laughs> it keeps them going for another episode and, and keeps the store open, too. Actually, Jason, have you been to the Secret Stash before? Uh, you know, I did uh, years and years and years ago. It was when I was working on the Independence. Um, what, what show was out there? It was, one of, it was either an Evolve or a Dragon Gate USA show uh, that I was out in New Jersey for. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm out here a day early. I think uh, I had a, a carload of people that I forced to go along with me. Um, but... Had to had to make the pilgrimage out to to the secret stash to the quick stop to you know all of the the spots from the as much as I could get to of the Kevin Smith movie uh, uh, 
universe. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. the mall is not actually there, which was kind of disappointing to find out. But um, but no, I did I did stop by the secret stash uh, in Jersey. It was you know it was a nice good comic store. Um, the the props, movie props, and movie paraphernalia was pretty cool. Uh, but you know at the end of the day, it's it's a comic shop. Absolutely, and like I've I've gone there a number of times and. Sometimes, like you know, you're if you're looking for something, if you're looking for something really obscure, that might not be the place. But when you're looking for a big run and you're like looking for certain key issues of said big run, you're more than likely going to actually find them there, which is kind of cool. Hmm. I know uh, back in the day, I think I can kind of say that I was actually supposed to be on Comic Book Man originally to buy a copy of uh, Deadpool, the first appearance of Deadpool, and Deadpool number one from the Joe Kelly series. And mm-hmm. that did not happen. I ended up going on instead to sell that Punisher action figure, which if you go online, type in Shapeshifter Punisher, you can find that. <laughs> but the, with that, with Comic Book Men, they, like, it's funny because you look for the book, you look for the, the, again, the thrill of the hunt. You want to find the book for the right price. When I was supposed to go on there, I was asking, I was going to pay uh, 250 for the, that, those two issues together. And I found it hilarious because I paid even less. I got uh, the first Deadpool appearance ever for a hundred bucks, like a couple months after the movie was removed from our theaters. Oh wow, that's a good so, find. Yeah, that's one of the two that I'm still missing on the New Mutants run. That's '98, right? Yes. Yeah, that was that was my White Whale for a while, and then uh, that White Whale proceeded to get replaced with the first appearance of Star Lord. Which, by the way, one more time for the people at home, hashtag Star Lord did nothing wrong. We just have to state that for the record one more time. I think we have to put in a disclaimer for your shapeshifter Punisher also because you just put a little disclaimer or warning on that because it's not, I don't no. know, shapeshifter it'll, or anatomically incorrect. It'll take your eye out. I know that for a fact. Oh, oh my. And, yeah. I just I just Googled that. Oh, my. The, see? Yeah. I'm sorry about that. You can't unsee that now. Wow. Wow. That's uh, He might want to get that checked out. I... <laughs> Although in the Young Frankenstein movie, what's his name says? He's going to be very popular. Okay. <laughs> Igor. Now, Igor. Uh, what hump? But anyway, by the way, the other day Eddie makes a reference to me to the movie The Fugitive, which was the last thing I expected him to make a reference to in recent memory. It was and a text, yeah. Eddie Wilson with the movie references that catch me off guard. Footnote. You don't even tell them what it is. Just leave them hanging. Thanks a lot. Well, I just keep them hanging on, like the song said. What song was that, Eddie? Do you know? Let's see. Vanilla Fudge originally. uh, I guess Supremes did something of that sort, perhaps, and then Kim Wilde. Yes, but I'm addicted to the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood soundtrack, so that's the version I'm going with, Vanilla Fudge. Okay. Anyway. Eddie? (laughs) Okay. What else is on that <laughs> list if we didn't cover too much already, Jason, of, of your uh, want to gets? You know, you, the big one, aside from obviously the uh, the uncanny stuff I'm working on, the, the, the New Mutants 87 and 98, and then, you know, beyond that, it's just it's a lot of dollar books. It's nothing, nothing spectacular, not a lot of key issues. I'm not really hunting any big keys. It's just, Dylan, I, I love being able to walk into the room I've got all my, my short boxes stored and look at a box and know 
that is a full run of whatever. Like, uh, and it's random stuff. Like, I finished out an X Factor run. I finished out a Avengers West Coast run. Like, just the most obscure kind of out there sort of things, but not, you know, not a lot of key issues really. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not a matter of, of finding uh, finding a, a first Deadpool or a first Cable, which obviously those are you know ones I'm working on, but it's it's that. You know, random. I think uh, Excalibur nine for some reason has been <laughs> difficult to find. It's like the it's the most random books. Yeah, um, that have no reason to be hard to find. But yeah, I can find it for you. I know someone who has it, and I can get it for you for a dollar. Yeesh! Oh, what a guy! What? Uh, I'll I will keep you posted because I can contact. What a guy! Minutes. But anyway. Well, if you are able to, you want to say, Jason, if not, you can be vague, but you said my many short boxes. Would you have a guesstimate as to what your collection is, uh, numerically speaking? As far as number of books? Yeah. Uh, thanks to the handy-dandy CLZ Comics app, I can tell you exactly. Uh, according to that, which I, and I spent a lot of this downtime going through reorganizing and recataloging, so this should be relatively accurate, just over 3,000 books. Okay. See, there's a focused man. I'm, I'm all over the place. <laughs> And in regards to talking about random books, and they'll be for like, sometimes I can't stand when a book will be on my list to hunt. And for no reason, not because of the fact it's a random character, but maybe it's a low print run. It goes for such a high price. I'm a big Moon Knight fan. People know that. I can't find random issues of Mark Spector Moon Knight, even though the series wasn't very good. I can't find certain issues because they go for about... Fifty to sixty to hundred dollars due to a low print run. For a low print, okay. Because I'm thinking of issue fifty-five, for example. I have that. Okay, Paid that's, a, that's less than a quarter for that. Really? That because that was um oh geez he only did a couple or so or maybe just that issue I can't think of the artist on the cover. Bob Backlund, yeah, he was really good on that one. I liked his work. What? No. <laughs> <laughs> Dissing the artist there, please. I know I'm, I'm disgracing because I don't remember, but that uh, that took a while for me to complete that run. I think that's all I needed at that point, and it was at some point a pricey book. It could have been like fifty bucks. I may have gotten it for five or so. Yeah. This is the geekiest thing I'm ever going to like compare it to. But oh. you know how someone will say, "I will never forget that one game-winning catch of the football game when I was in high school." The Al, the Al Bundy kind of thing. <laughs> well, gentlemen, what is your I can't believe I paid so little for that one book. Go ahead, Jason. Peter probably knows mine. <laughs> well, uh, so recently, um, there's a flea market up in Daytona Beach, or near Daytona Beach, um, that has a little comic book vendor, nothing spectacular. They've got a handful of comics. They've got a handful of uh, toys and things. And uh, they had a copy of Uncanny 266, first game uh, up on the wall that I think I paid maybe 20 bucks for. Good. Okay. Um, but, but the biggest one, uh, was a, a flea market, was a flea market, pawn shop, pawn shop. I'm sorry. In South Dakota somewhere, maybe it's Sioux Falls. Maybe, I mean, there's not a lot of towns to pick from that we would actually visit. Mm. Um, but uh, we'd finished up for the day. Finished. Uh, I was helping build the ring that day. So we finished up the ring and we're walking around myself, the, production crew, the lighting tech, the video tech, the audio people. And there's a, a giant pawn shop looked like something out of Pawn Stars directly across the street from us. So we, we're like, all right, let's check this place out. And it's a lot of, uh, I think it was, had a Harley shop in with it or something crazy. So there's a lot of, you know, motorcycle stuff and uh, a 
assorted, uh, uh, you know, Sons of Anarchy esque type of uh, pawn paraphernalia around, and just randomly on a what looked like a, a you know China hutch that you'd have dishes in or whatever. On the shelf of that was five or six issues of just random comics in bags and boards, and I'm flipping through them. They're all three dollars a piece or whatever, nothing spectacular. And it's you know throwaway issue of this or throwaway issue of that. And right there in the middle of it was X Factor. I want to say five and six, uh, for the first cameo and first full Archangel for three bucks a piece. <laughs> Those are the ones you dream of. Those are the really good ones. Mine is uh, the What If Venom Possessed Deadpool. And I got that for less than a quarter at this comic shop I used to frequent because they would have this deal where in the middle of the store were these long boxes, and they were all dollar books. And sometimes the owner didn't realize what he had, which as a Catholic boy, sometimes I think, you know, I feel guilty about that. Breaking the seventh commandment, right? Yeah. But then I realized, you know what? My wallet's going to love me a lot. So I'm going through there, and I see in one of the boxes that, and the deal was fill up a short box for $20, and then he, you know, he raised it up to 25 whatever, but you fill up the short box and you pay $25 and get all those books in there. Mm-hmm. And I left there, like I said, with that What If Venom Possessed Deadpool, which goes for, I want to say, ungraded, unslabbed on everything, in mint condition, three hundred to five hundred dollars. Unbelievable! Because it has such a low. Wait, what? Yeah, I was going to ask, what is that? Why? Why would that one be such an expensive book? It's expensive because low print run, and because the character, you know, it's what if Venom was possessing Deadpool? It's like it's like one of those like, ooh, I kind of would love to read that because these top characters are really popular. But it's it's mostly low print run, and plus. It came out at a time when people were starting to get on the Deadpool train. This is like 2010, 2011, and that book was just sitting in the dollar bin because he, I guess, ordered a couple copies and no one bought them and just threw them in there. I'm like, huh, well, I know what I'm leaving with because like, that was anything Deadpool I could get my hands on. That was just dumb luck, I think. So is that how you're yeah. saying that you've got comics for less than a quarter? If you fill up a short box for 20 or 25 bucks and you do the math, it comes down to less than mm-hmm. a quarter? Yep. At that point, I'm not even counting, you know, unless the cover price was less than a quarter kind of thing. But for me, it was, I believe, the same comic book store we're talking about where I had already bought, uh, finally, because I think I had first seen, and I referred to it before on this episode about Next Men issue 21, the first Hellboy. That, same shop, by the way. Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, I had first seen it on a wall at a comic book store in Florida. Oh, Pembroke Pines, I'm going to say. I think it was $45. I'm like, yeah, no, I can't touch that. So, MC Hammer. Okay, Hammer. But then... <laughs> then it just, you owe me a soda. And, another, and then again, it came about that I, I saw it. I was able to get it. I was uh, being told 25 and I tried to negotiate a little bit. So I got, all right, how about 21 for issue 21? So I paid $21 for that. And that was, that was good. Not too long after that, at this aforementioned or sort of, store in the dollar bin. I said, well, I'm getting another copy, and it's costing me a dollar. Eddie, you just said you paid $21 yep. for the first appearance of Hellboy, right? Yep. Why would you fall on that number? You couldn't fall on, like, you know, 20 or 15. You go, uh, 21, I like blackjack today. You're I went from 15, listen, you weren't there. <laughs> I went from 15 to 18 to 20. All right, 21. 
He wasn't budging it's, from why 25. Why did you go 18? Because I, I was slowly, I don't know. That's how you haggle in the comic book, I, I guess. Haggle by five. <laughs> the eBay auction logic. But the yeah, never gone there. But the other one that I happened to find was, and after looking extensively, I think it was at a shop in uh, the outskirts of Richmond, Virginia, and uh, it was one of those stores where a lot of comics were not necessarily bagged or boarded, and you had that newspapery type of smell. There was also a magazine section elsewhere in the in the place, huge layout kind of thing, um, and you definitely, you know, the work of looking in the bins and stuff showed on your fingers because they got nearly blackened kind of thing. And I found the uh, first appearance of War Machine, Iron Man 281, for a dollar. Hmm. Isn't that the, like with the Dayglo colors or whatever? And it's like got uh, uh, War Machine spray-painted no. over the Iron Man logo? Yeah, in uh, in a pinkish color, yeah. I hate you. <laughs> wow. Oh, wait, I, I love that cover. Somehow I got two copies, and they're both signed. Of course they are. Of course they are, Eddie. By our good friend at the uh, at, at least one of the shows we've been to. Um, yeah, okay. Bob, yeah. Oh, Backlund, he finally he signed something for you? <laughs> sure he did. How many presidents did you name for him? How many pres? No, no, he was nice. He's a nice guy. Now, in regards to just, again, that aspect of the thrill of the hunt, I would say it, it's one of the cool things. And I, you just mentioned also, Eddie, the newsprint, the smell of the newsprint and all that. It's, it's kind of one of those things I miss right now about going to comic book shops, which is strange to say, but I digress. Well, some of that is newsprint, but it's also aged, and it's got a, a musty, you know, bordering on stinky kind of thing if it's gotten water stains and so on. So it's not the, the most attractive. So if you're sensitive and you have allergies, it's not the place for you. But, you know, you could find yourself in the zone and... That's a, that's a place where I think I spent four hours, totally forgot what time it was, and I'm a kind of guy who, you know, at a certain time, it's time to eat that meal of the day. I disconnected my brain from my stomach, and then when I got out of there, my stomach is kind of like banging on my brain, like, hello, you forget about me down here? Jason? Yeah, you know, that, it, that's one of the things I, uh, I, I tell, you know, I call it long box therapy. When I, when I go to a a random comic shop and just go digging through the back issues for, like you said, hours on end. You know, there's, there was a, um, I can't remember what town it was, but there was a flea market that had three or four different comic book vendors and they were all just dollar boxes of back issues, not bagged, not boarded. Like you said, you come out with the newsprint all over your fingers after you're done. Um, but it was, you know, it, it was one of those things where they, I think they literally came by and kicked me out because uh, they were closing for the evening <laughs> before they were done. Not a lot of fines. But it's just the, the the digging through the boxes and, oh, man, I, I forgot that issue. Oh, wow, I didn't even realize that was a series, you know, or that sort of thing. That's that's what's fun to me sometimes. That's bordering on Eddie going to a convention, which, let me tell you, people, you have not lived until you've gone with Eddie Wilson to a comic book convention. <laughs> and by that, I mean you'll be standing there from doors open to doors closed. And he is nose deep in those long boxes. I've gotten better. <laughs> I swear, I have <laughs> <laughs> I'm in rehab. <laughs> now, on top of that, you know, when you're on the road doing these shows, I imagine also conventions are going on. Do you ever end up, like, seeing yourself randomly at a convention? Every now and again. Um, you know, it's it's rare that we happen to coincide with a convention, but there's been a couple of times. 
Um, one, and I can't remember, I want to say in Mississippi somewhere, possibly. Um, the convention was actually essentially on the same property as um, the venue we were running the show after the night. So, uh, and as myself and Charles Robinson was there, was the other referee on the show with me. And Rick Flair was set up over at the convention. So, needless to say, we went over, he said hello to him. And um, while he was uh, getting, you know, catching up with his old friend, I went walking around looking for back issues uh, with minimal amounts of success. But nevertheless, um, and, and the only other one that really sticks out to me, there was one time we were in Atlantic City, uh, and it just happened to coincide with uh, Atlantic City Boardwalk Con, um, which was a lot bigger than I expected when they said, oh, yeah, no, there's a comic convention going on in town. Oh, okay, cool, great. And I go over there, and it's this massive, uh, you know, along the lines of almost like a Megacon uh, here in Orlando type of setup. Agent M from Marvel was there, which was cool to catch up with him and, you know, that sort of thing. But, like, very rarely do we ever happen to be, because our shows are, you know, so often on an for TV on a Friday or a Monday, and there's not a lot of conventions going on during the week, unfortunately. Uh, you just mentioned Agent M, Ryan Panagos, uh, friend of the show. Have I know Johnny Gargano himself has actually made it to the Marvel offices. Have you been to the Marvel offices yet? I did once, yes. Uh, the first the first time I worked Madison Square Garden, I came in a day early, and uh, you know I'd been communicating with Ryan in advance for a while, and um, yeah, went up went up did tour the. The security kind of cracked me up because they, they uh, make you wear it. You have a uh, uh, lanyard that you have to wear while you're on property to show that, you know, you're sponsored by whomever you're being sponsored through there. And uh, as I'm going to try and leave them, you know, kind of just walking out with the lanyard, they're like, uh, yeah, we need that back. Like, <laughs> yeah, we got that too. And that was one of my favorite things. I'm like, but you guys said these are biodegradable. It's going to like dissolve anyway, and it's dated. Come on. Yeah. I need a keepsake. I think I may still have retained the sticker that said visitor, though, that we got before. You know, when you got into the elevator, and then when you got to the office, then you got the lanyard, and yeah. I, th- I think it's kind of funny, too, because from our experience, you know, there is two, two desks you have to go through to get to there, and I'm like... Well, you need to get to the first desk, and they're not going to allow you in otherwise. So, uh, you know. But I digress. Mm. Is what I'm getting. At. But it was a great visit. Oh heck yeah! Yeah, it's very, it's very cool. Very cool. Uh, just to say, you know, even just to say you've been there is, is uh, oh yeah, pretty cool experience. And pictures only in like three designated areas. Although I uncovered a fourth, and I was told, hey, this is okay. It was the table where they do the podcast recording. So sure. Oh, there you go. Yeah. No secret. And w- did you get to do the uh, archive room? Uh, I did not. They they walked me by it. Uh, and it was kind of somebody was coming out and, hey, you see that in there? That's everything ever. Okay, great. Thanks. It's <laughs> uh, kind of amazing to know that, you know? Yeah, right. Eddie? But again, that's, that's the kind of, that's the kind of uh, room that, you know, talk about them having to kick me out at the end of... Uh, a flea market closing. You're just going to have to get me a cot in there if they open that room up. Well, yeah, I guess yeah, we're, I was going to say about tapped out, but I was going to ask Jason what else is on the horizon once we get clear and we can do things like normal again. Um, well, I, that's the thing. I don't know. Um, you know, it's, it's such a such an uncertain time right now as far as um, when that's even going to happen. So I know for the you know for the foreseeable future, I'm not leaving uh, 
not leaving Orlando, not really leaving my house much, <laughs> you know, as, as we're kind of all doing our part. But uh, hopefully we'll get back to normalcy eventually and, um, you know, we can resume uh, resume the things we love to do. You know, we lost, like, a lot of really cool things that we were able to do. And I guess, you know, I can mention this on the show. Like, you, you had WrestleMania. That was, like, your big moment for the year. You got to still partake in it, but not the version, you know, but yeah, you're you're also part of a historical version, which is kind of cool, you know. Yeah, and, you know, it was that went to me, and not not to cut you off, but that that WrestleMania meant more to me than you know any really any of the past ones. And this would have this is my let's see, WrestleMania 30 was my first one, so this was my seventh WrestleMania I've been part of since I've been with the company. And you know, moments were cool at the other ones. Obviously, there's something to be said for you know seventy, eighty, a hundred thousand people. Uh, screaming in a stadium, but to, to I think to all of us knowing that we were part of something like this to to you know the show must go on and with all the uncertainty in the world and all of you know the stress and the anxiety of for some people I don't know when my next paycheck's coming and I don't know um, you know if my family members are going to be healthy and and all of that that's going on that we were able to even if just for a couple of hours provide an escape, provide a, you know, let's put all that aside and let's sitting on our couch, cheer and boo and, you know, put out a product to hopefully put some smiles on faces. And that's one of the most important things that, you know, I, I include people like, you know, Eddie and myself as well, because we're giving something in these trying times, you know, we're creating content and that's the most important thing. You know, you want to, brighten someone's day and each of us you know each of us on this show right now we're glad to be able to do that for you know the listening audience the viewing audience at home it's a cool experience and eddie does it every day with the radio so yeah yeah how about them definitely definitely needed nowadays that's for sure yeah just keep it on the up and up keep it light keep it off off, a little bit off beat and it's just having fun and hopefully it's it's putting a smile or just a little bit of a like wow i remember that we we span a lot wide variety of music could be in the 60s could be into coming up to the 90s uh mid 90s thereabouts and just just doing that and getting a sense of personal satisfaction in that respect you don't get the feedback per se but you think you did okay and then when you hear something you know good bad or otherwise it's it's something you just put into perspective um what just you were Saying a little bit, Jason reminded me, or made me think of asking the question. And again, depending on how much you wanna you wanna say about it, but in your regular normal routine, what uh, I was gonna say, what kind of like, things did that find you going or doing in, and what kind of hours did it have you working? And maybe one week in this town, and then next week going elsewhere. Uh, how much home time would you have when you were on a more regular working routine? Eddie, that was like the well, book of questions. Wow. It's terrible. Yeah, it's all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think I get where you're getting at though. Uh, no, so you know, a normal normal schedule week. Uh, you know, my my schedule's a little bit different than it has been in the past. Um, just for the simple fact that I'm you know refereeing on SmackDown, but then I'm also working behind the scenes at NXT every Wednesday. Um, so at this point, basically, I'm doing just those TV tapings, just the the Wednesday TV taping for NXT and the Friday TV taping for SmackDown. And then whenever we do a pay-per-view weekend, you know, that Sunday I'm going somewhere. So standard week for me, uh, you know, I have usually meetings on Tuesday, and then we'll do a TV taping on Wednesday for NXT, which is 20 minutes from my house, which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, 
Thursday, fly to whatever town we're in for Friday. Um, if I can get there early enough, do a little, you know, like we said, do a little back issue digging. Uh, Friday to the TV taping, and then Saturday back home, off Sunday, off Monday, Tuesday, do it all over again. Unless it's a pay-per-view week, in which case it's, you know, Saturday, fly to the Sunday town, do the pay-per-view Sunday, Monday, fly home, and Tuesday, do it all over again. So the fact that right now, you know, everything that we're doing for the foreseeable future is going to be based out of the Performance Center in Orlando until all of this passes or, you know, reverts to whatever the new normalcy is going to be. Um, so at this point, it's, you know, every couple of weeks or whatever it is, drive 20 minutes and do a show out of the empty performance center and back home for dinner, <laughs> you know, it's kind of a, kind of a nice, uh, nice change of pace. I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to adjust back to, uh, leaving every week, but you know, it's, it's, uh, been a very, very welcome break and, and nice to get to spend some time at home. I think the best way to get back to a regular routine, no matter who it is, is in one word, slowly. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be an adjustment, that's for sure. Yeah. Now, on top of all that going on, I want to know, X-Men, are you reading the current stuff? I have been, yes. What do you think of it? I love it. Uh, it's, you know, it's definitely a departure from anything that's been done before, as is just about everything that Hickman does. Um, but it's, I don't know, I, I, House of X, Powers of Ten really hooked me uh, during the that 12-issue run, you know, the, the new concepts and the fact that with that it felt like every single issue there was a new revelation that you just kind of sit back shell-shocked for a second, you know, whether it be a cliffhanger, whether it be, you know, not getting into any spoiler territory, but it felt like at the end of every issue, there was something where you just kind of put the book down and go, whoa, okay, let me process that for a second. And then spinning out of that into the six books, which each had their own flavor, each had their own feel, I really dug that. You know, the, the Marauders being a, a seafaring adventure and, you know, uh, New Mutants and Excalibur and, you know, the mainline X-Men being a little more political uh, and, you know, X-Force being the, the militarized, you know, just each, each book had its own feel. And I, I really dig that sort of thing. So, um, it's, you know, that's been the one thing, like I said, backlog of books. That's been the one thing that I've made an appointment to read every week, uh, whatever new X books came out. It's kind of wild though, because with everything going on right now, everything's put on pause and no, not even digital books are going to be released for the foreseeable future, but I'm, it's kind of perfect time for me now because I can finally catch up and actually read everything current X-Men. Although, let's be real, that's probably not going to happen. I'll probably start watching the Larry Sanders show again and just go from there. But, yeah. I would say, what are your... Like, you had mentioned earlier that you were uh, reading the Zdarsky Daredevil or Zdarsky Devil. Um and the current Hickman stuff, and just X in general. What are some other current favorites of yours that you would highly recommend to our listening audience? There we go. Easy for me to say. Well, so, and like I said, I'm just kind of finally starting to dig back through some of the, the stuff that I've missed over the last six months to a year, maybe more. Um, but, you know, uh, Immortal Hulk has been awesome. Mm. Um, big fan of that. Um I've kept on up on all of the Amazing Spider-Man and any spinoff books from that, um, just because it, 
Invincible is one of my all-time favorite series. And when that team kind of partially moved over to, to work on Spider-Man, I'm like, I'm in. Uh, so that's, that's been a fun read. Beyond that, man, I, you know, just kind of stuff as it comes out. Maybe I'm in the minority. I enjoyed Heroes in Crisis from D.C., um, you know, I, I enjoyed uh, Doomsday Clock. You know, I'm a big event comic guy beyond my, you know, handful of X-Men or Spider-Man or specific characters that I try to keep up on. Beyond that, it's just whatever the big event is, I'm hooked. So, um, Well, you just mentioned Doomsday Clock. And at the very end of the issue, spoilers at home for the people who are listening who have not read the final issue of Doomsday Clock. But we start a panel... And it talks our page, and it talks about all of these upcoming events in the the uh, DC timeline, and one of which is apparently five years from now, and it features uh, Superman fighting the actual god Thor and a very strong green man, and they go, "This is the secret crisis." How badly do you want that to happen as much as I do? <laughs> yeah, that, uh, you know, if we, if we can get that, well, but, you know, in, in hindsight, we've been there and we've done that to a degree, and it was not, I mean, it, you know, I, I, the, the Marvel versus DC from, what was it, 94, that spun into Amalgam? Right. Books were well, fun. There was but, Justice uh, League uh, Avengers. Right. There was, you know, there was that. There's been attempts in the past. I, I just, I, I feel like, uh, you know, as, as much as in in our minds, oh, that would be amazing. Mm, corporate politics are going to come into play, and I'm going to make the joke though be... that I made on Twitter, and I'm going to repeat it here. I really hope they get Jonathan Hickman to do it if it were to happen, because currently, right now, a lot of uh, people... Gail Simone was the one heavily championing for this, for the companies to team up one more time because of everything going on in the world. You know, also, comic companies, comic stores are hurting heavily because of this. And I said, you know what, you should... You know, I agree, Jonathan Hickman would be perfect. Crisis on infographs. Ha-ha, roll on snare drum. Good joke. Everybody laugh. <laughs> you see, Eddie, the joke is Jonathan Hickman uses a lot of infographs in his jokes. <laughs> Swing and a miss, Peter, one more time. Narrator? Okay. And what about you guys? Who would you want to see be the creative team behind a crossover event for Marvel and DC in 2020, 2021, etc.? You know, I, to me, I feel like it depends on what characters we focus on. You know, I, I would I would like to see some of the you know some of the seminal teams from whatever. So if it's if we're talking, you know, if, if X Men are involved, maybe we do involve Hickman. Maybe uh, you know, I maybe Bendis gets involved. I don't know. I I, uh, I don't know. I, I'm not I'm not one that's huge on the specific creative teams, with the exception of just a couple of uh, you know writers or or what have you that I follow, but. I'm, I'm more along for, for the ride, no matter who it is, to be honest with you. I think I got to fall behind the, behind that one, Jason, mostly as well, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I would say also the idea of all the different characters interacting. Like, I would love to see Booster Gold meet some Marvel characters. As a diehard Booster Gold fan, I think it would be amazing. That's one possibility, sure. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, and that, you know, that could be a, the kind of character to tie everything in together, too, just with the, by the nature of, uh, of who he is with the time travel. And then, you know, you have, like, you mentioned the Heroes in Crisis story that heavily involved Booster Gold. And right, it's one of those where, I, personally, I love Tom King's Batman. And, like, that's, like, I guess a hot take, apparently, for some people, but... I enjoyed his Batman run, and I actually was really bummed out the day I heard he was leaving the title. Because, to be honest, by far one of the best Batman writers of all time. Don't at me, people. Yeah, you know, the, the Tom King Batman run was fantastic. I, I you know, it kind of contradicting myself here, though, <laughs> with saying that I don't follow specific teams. Um, the, the, the Scott Snyder run on Batman also is one of my all-time all-time, all-time favorites. So um, I think Eric has had some really good writing in the, in the last, what, decade or so? Oh, yeah. Well, when you, when you mentioned uh, that run, the New 52, Batman, that was part of what got me back into comics in 2011. And there's just something special about the, the uh, Court of Owls story that still holds up to this day. Yeah, absolutely. So that, you know, good. No, I was going to say that that whole, you know, everything, realistically, everything all the way up through the end of that run. I mean, there there wasn't really a a lull to me. You know, it was one of those that uh, you pick up. I don't know if there's an omnibus available on that, but the, uh, you know, the individual trades are one that I go back to pretty regularly, you know, from the beginning of that, that run all the way up through to the end of it, really. I would say there's just, again, that when you pair it with Capullo's art, especially, there's, I, I think he makes one of the most interesting Bruce Wayne's, too, because if you look at how he draws eyes, I've made this comment to people, and a lot of people agree with me. He makes Bruce Wayne have dreamy eyes. It's so weird to say, but it's like, it's a perfect. Uh, contrast between him and the Batman character. He's this dark and brooding kind of character. But then you see Bruce Wayne, and he's just like, yeah. I don't know where I was going with that. I'm that guy. Yeah, Rico Suave. Mm -hmm. What? (laughs) Now you're paying attention. Okay. Yeah. For that one, I wish I was. No. um, But. Jason, before we wrap this episode up, we want to say thank you so much for your time today. Oh, no, absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. This, is, this has been fun, guys. A lot of fun. Thanks. We could go issues more and so on, but, you know, time, all that. And, of course, you have an open invite to come back on anytime you want, chat comments with us, chat up uh, some different runs, whatever, whenever. Oh, I'd absolutely love to. So... So, Jason, before we go, how can people get a hold of you on social media? Uh, well, um, pretty easy to find. <laughs> I try to keep a pretty heavy social media presence. I think that's where we connected in the first place. Uh, Jason Ayers, WWE, that's Ayers spelled A-Y-E-R-S, uh, on Twitter, on Instagram, on uh, pretty much everything except my Facebook is uh, my private life. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm pretty easy to get a hold of, you know. Uh, just look for the, the guy with the referee picture. I don't know if there's other Jason Ayers out there, but <laughs> well, fun fact: we also when we both you know we both know a mutual, by the way, you and I, a man who goes now by the name of Rodeo Randy, 
But oh, some rodeo, people may rodeo. know him a lot more as Mr. Christopher Huffman of Spot Monkey Design. So just yeah. a shout out to Big Pun himself. I miss his puns so much. He doesn't do them enough anymore. Uh, yeah, I miss uh, I miss angry reacting or sad reacting uh, every pun, depending. Oh, Lordy, he had some doozies, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what a guy. Anyway, for The Marvelous, I'm Peter Melnick. I'm Jason Ayers. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Excelsior! Time for another episode of Obsessed with Marvel. Jason Ayers has been nice enough to hang on, and so let's get to the question. It is question number 769, and it reads as follows. <laughs> Momentarily. Phenomena. 769. Who was Black Goliath? Was it Bill? Was it Bill Foster? Was it Eddie March? James Rhodes or Clint Barton? I'm sorry, this is an easy one, at least for me. Who you said Eddie? I thought you were gonna go Munster. I usually read it again, Jason, so bear with me. Who was Black Goliath? Bill Foster, Eddie March, James Rhodes, or Clint Barton? Well, you know, this should be a pretty easy one for anybody that uh, that read the original Civil War. Uh, Bill Foster, obviously, is Black Goliath. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I recognize all the names except for Eddie March myself. And uh, we're Shout out all... to friend of the show, Tony Isabella, by the way, the man responsible for Black Goliath. All right, so here we go. Bill Foster, letter A, and... There we are, correct. I love the sound of that dinging, ring-a-ding-dinging stuff. Okay, let, let the computer oh, you think. ding-dong. Oh, okay. Not as good as a ring-ding. All right, 1,581. Yes. You're the next contestant. Oh, I love Rod Roddy. <sighs> thinking of a different... Okay. 1,581 says, who drew the initial three issues of the original... Nightheart did not draw anything. Sorry. Jason, I have to deal with this, so please... (laughs) Who drew the initial three... I appreciate that one. From 1977, who drew the initial three issues of the original The Rampaging Hulk? Was it Howard Chaikin, Walter Simonson, Tom Sutton, or Tony... Dizuniga. 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 There we go. Howard Chaikin, Walter Simonson, Tom Sutton, Tony Dizuniga. Who drew the initial three issues of the original Rampaging Hulk? I, I'm Not ashamed. Not the first two, but I think it's Sutton. Yeah, you think it's Sutton? Okay. But I also, my Peter my I have my Peter Tingle right now, and uh-huh. I'm kind of leaning toward D as well. Tony DiZaniga. I, I recognize that name with uh, Hulk. Okay. I'm ashamed to say I haven't caught up to the original because I did collect that series. I originally, I have to side note, started with when that went to full color, I think with issue 10, and it ran to number 27, fun fact. And then I backtracked for the first nine issues, and I didn't I mean, get it was caught a up. fact, Eddie. It was not really that fun. I didn't, you know, get a thrill out of it. Oh, toss this man a dollar or something. I don't know. Uh, any idea, Jason? You know, of the names that you listed, the only one I recognize is Walt Simonson. So I'm going to go with, with Walt. Uh, okay. Absolutely nothing to back it. Yeah, nothing to back it. Right. And I, I recognize and know and have met Howard Chaikin and Walt Simonson. 
I'm I'm somewhere between Sutton and De Zuniga, and I think I'm going to go with letter D myself. So let's try it out. No, it is not. The correct answer is Walt Simonson. Wow. Oh, all right. Wow. I mean, no, I totally knew that, guys. That was uh, That's 100% pretty uh, good. Knew that for real. It says Jason sense uh. tingling. See that? <laughs> See, never un, never doubt that. If that happens, you, you try. But then again, Peter, uh, something else. Okay. Hey. What, hey is for horses. Okay. 1945. That's what a year. Great. Who is Dr. Noah Black? Dr. Noah Black. Is it a friend of Luke Cage? A psychiatrist for Vanessa Fisk? The criminal genetic engineer Centurious or the supernatural menace Centurious. Ooh, that's a curveball. Who is Dr. Mm. Noah Black? A friend of I Luke Cage? Psychiatrist for Vanessa Fisk? The criminal genetic engineer Centurious or the supernatural menace Centurious? I'm be well, grasping at a straw as here. A, as a doctor... I would say possibly the geneticist. The, okay, the genetic engineer. Okay, would I guess? Yeah, I I know at some point we did know the name of the psychiatrist for Vanessa Fisk, aka Mrs. Wilson Fisk, Kingpin. Um, yeah, but you're saying Peter, the psychiatrist. I'm thinking that, but the geneticist uh-huh. uh, statement kind of makes a lot more sense. I think we're going to follow up on Jason's heels and go with letter C, the criminal genetic engineer, Centurious. Let's see. It is C. Whoa. Good call. Yeah, Jason Tingle is better than a Peter Tingle, apparently. That's It's it's contagious. Ooh, careful. Wear a mask for that. All right, finally, let's do one more because it seems to be what? four being... <laughs> what? What? I said one more. Okay. I said wear a mask besides, but anyway... It's just part of the superhero genre, not not specific to our current times. 662, and it goes, Who employed the finisher to assassinate Peter Parker's parents? Randy okay. Orton. It was out of nowhere. You, you Dang right it was out of nowhere. <laughs> Who employed the finisher to assassinate Peter Parker's parents? Baron Strucker. Silvermane. The Nazi Red Skull of the 1940s or the Communist Red Skull of the 1950s? Should I do that one more time? Who employed the finisher to assassinate Peter Parker's parents? Baron Strucker, Silvermane, the Nazi Red Skull of the 1940s, or the Communist Red Skull of the 1950s? If I remember my Spider-Man history right, I feel like they were always listed as Cold War era spies, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. So the communist Red Skull possibly would make the most sense to me? I was drifting that way myself, yeah. Let's go with it. Let's go with letter D, and it is correct. Quit while we're ahead or something like that. I think we got three out of four, right? I have a body, I have a torso. I like it. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you again.